The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. I want to switch our attention to the calls recently of, uh, you know, for, for body cameras to be used by police officers across the country and in the United States. We know that recent violent and fatal incidents are are amplifying those voices all in an effort to combat alleged brutality and racism. But there's experts out there who are at odds on whether or not those cameras will improve transparency and accountability um, in police interactions with civilians. And I thought we could explore this a little bit more and the new uh, drunk driving legislation coming into play in this province with Paul Dorshenko, criminal defense lawyer with Acumen Law. Hi, Paul. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Your thoughts on on body cameras worn by police. There are some out there who say that this is a must. There are others who are saying, you know what, there's been studies that have shown that it really doesn't do a whole lot. From from your vantage point uh, with what you do, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's absolutely a no-brainer. And uh, I'm always surprised that there's people who, you know, will always throw up obstacles and always throw up uh, uh, reasons not to move ahead with some new technology. And, you know, I, I think it's appropriate to look at those concerns, but then eventually you've just got to make the decision. And, uh, you know, in our experience, when it comes to uh, police video, for example, from cruisers or police video that we get from detachments, it almost always clarifies things. You know, it, it's never that the video creates uh, further ambiguity. The video always, you know, will, will, will help you get to the bottom of what took place. Uh, and when you're talking about, you know, constitutional violations, violations of, of uh, people's constitutional rights and their engagement with the police, you know, we spend days and days litigating these things and putting evidence before judges and people testifying and saying, this is what the police officer did. And the officer saying, well, I know I did this. Uh, and if you have video, it just resolves it. It, it goes from uh, very often it can take a three day trial down to a half day trial or, a, you know, a plea or a, a, a stay by the by the crown. So to me, it's a no-brainer uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, there's, there's the deterrent effect. You know, people don't commit offenses. Police officers don't commit offenses if they believe that, that they're going to get caught. Uh, they think about their behavior when they're on video. Yeah, that's interesting, though. You know what, Paul? Because, you know, when you look at what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis, I mean, that those police officers knew that they were being videotaped by by cell phones all around. There were numerous angles, and that didn't change anything. Well, I mean, it's, every incident is different, right? Every circumstance is different. I, I've never understood why we why we you know, take uh, young males who happen to be uh, quick to, to anger with a short fuse and make them police officers. Uh, you know, they have a particular problem in Minneapolis. But uh, largely, by and large, I can tell you, when we get cruiser video or we get video, any video from a detachment or something like that where there's a, a dispute about what took place, the video resolves it. Uh, and body cam video, you know, police officers having cameras right on their uniforms uh, is going to change a lot of things. We had a police officer here in, in, in Vancouver who was walking down the street and just tripped somebody. Just tripped somebody. It was a, like a, a, 
a person who was living on the downtown east side. And it was only because it was captured on video that that officer was, uh, uh, you know, was was held to account when when Jiskanski was murdered by the police RCMP yeah. in the in the uh, airport here in Vancouver. Same thing. It was only because there was video that the police officers were held to account. So if you've got video, you increase the probability that the police officer is going to be held to account if their behavior is uh, inappropriate or wrong or committing an offense. It just increases the, oppor- the probability and it acts as a deterrent. You know, even though there's, there's uh, roadblocks and check stops out there, uh, there's people who are going to still drive drunk, mm. but check stops are a great deterrent for most people who, you know, are going to think about their actions a bit. I was reading an article on this, uh, reading numerous articles on this over the past little while, and, and a statement jumped out on me, and it was um, uh, was a, um, a fellow at the Department of Criminology at the University of, Alberta, uh, University of Ottawa saying, cameras can help to document incidents of racism, but they don't stop the underlying patterns of racism. And, uh, and then another comment that said that a study out of Montreal found that the cameras didn't improve people's trust in police and and i think those are two important things to remember i mean if there is an underlying pattern of racism then having a camera i don't, I don't necessarily think that's going to change anything well I, you know it depends i don't think that is the thing that's going to change anything i mean the the, the fact that there is racism uh in you know police officers and police forces is not going to change by virtue of the fact that there's a camera but you may have a record of what takes place you know i had a case in banff uh, where, as far as I was concerned, it was racially, uh, partially racially driven by the police officers. It was their their racial bias that that led to certain aspects of it. And my client had his version of it, and I got the video, and it it substantiated mm-hmm. our concerns. Um, so you know, the, the, there's lots of times that it can clarify. There's lots of times we know of all of the we hear of all of the incidents, yeah. and we and we know there's that's the tip of the iceberg in Canada, particularly with First Nations. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. just now hearing about what's been taking place. Uh, in, in Nunavut, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, a lot of that stuff, we would be able to identify those officers who are doing that if we had the video. Uh, Paul, Paul Doroshenko joining me this afternoon. You touched on uh, about uh, how it helps efficiency in in the courtroom. Um, I mean, we're talking about freeing up uh, a lot of time here if we have this video, don't we? Yeah, Aren't we? I mean, it's it's uh, you know, it, for for me. When I get the video, it's and, and I've had judges joke about it in court. It's either it turns it into a guilty plea or it turns it into a, a stay of proceedings. You know, if you get yeah. video from a detachment and your client looks like they're absolutely flat out drunk, there's no more ambiguity about the police officer not having good notes about it. Uh, but you know, when you get the video and you see that the person is perfect and that the police officer is is jamming the mouthpiece into the roadside breath tester the wrong way, uh, you know, you know you've got a, 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 a it's going to be in a guaranteed acquittal and you can pick up the phone and phone the prosecutor and say watch the video uh, and you'll feel differently about this and have a have a discussion with your police officer uh, about getting retrained so it, it, it many times it sorts it out what about concerns about privacy? We've heard a lot of talk about that. Your thoughts on that? Well, there's not a whole lot of privacy uh, concerns when it comes to things that people are doing in public, right? So we have concerns about privacy interests. Uh, uh, if you're out there recording uh, somebody, though, who's out wandering around on the street, there's not a great privacy interest uh, when you're out on the street. If the police are walking into your house, 
uh, with this on, then that's a different thing. But, you know, we yeah. already have that. We've already, you know, Cal- the Calgary police have these things, and they haven't run into a huge problem with privacy issues. We've had uh, uh, dash cams in select police cruisers across mm-hmm. this country now for a decade or more. Uh, you know, we, we haven't run into people running into court and suing the police because their privacy was violated. So, Paul, I want to. I want. Okay, I want to get you to hold the line here. I want to talk to you about Bill 21, the changes to some of the drunk driving uh, legislation here in the province. It's Paul Doroshenko joining us this afternoon, criminal defense lawyer with Acumen Law. Just hold the line. I want to let uh, my listeners know just before we, as we head into a break, uh, the Edmonton Police Service did do a pilot project with body cameras. I think it was last year, the year before, and right now, uh, at last, where they were saying that it had no plans to invest in the technology that there was, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit of of cost uh, associated when it comes to storage of video and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So we'll see how that plays out now that these calls continue uh, to get louder and louder and louder. Uh, when we come back, Paul Doroshenko, he's been, he's been, <laughs> you know, you heard, uh, you heard this list, uh, the uh, justice minister on this show yesterday afternoon talking about changes to Bill 21, dropping the criminal charge for first-time impaired drivers in this province who don't cause an injury. Well, it's based on a BC model, and Paul Doroshenko and his team have been working with this model for about 10 years now. You'll hear his thoughts. You're not going to want to miss it right after this. Time on my own has made me so blue. Yes, I caught this virus. Okay, it's 321. Paul Doroshenko joining us this afternoon, a criminal defense lawyer with Acumen Law. Also part of the Acutones. Country music band. Paul, I think the last time we talked, uh, your first couple of tunes were just coming out. You've got more music coming out. We've got a lot more music coming out. I've got, uh, I mean some really fantastic <laughs> songs and I, I i'm so desirous of telling you about it but i really want to make sure the videos are ready but uh, uh i will tell you i got busted uh i am getting myself a custom-made uh elvis jumpsuit for the video <laughs> okay so. can't wait to see that make sure you follow paul doroshenko on instagram to check that out okay before we run out of time and we only have about i don't know about five minutes left here i wanted to talk to you about bill 21 the changes here to uh drunk driving uh rules that were just announced by the uh, provincial government dropping the criminal charge for the first time impaired drivers who don't cause injury it's based on the bc model you've been working with this for the past decade what have you seen in British Columbia over the past number of years with this? Well, it's, I mean, it's a nightmare scenario in many respects because instead of using the quality evidence of a um, approved instrument at a police detachment that tests itself and ensures that there's no mouth alcohol, you're being tested just at the roadside with a screener. Uh, and the screeners are supposed to be, the manufacturer used to recommend that they're, they are tested for calibration every two weeks. In Canada, we test them every month, and we're using them for punishment. We're not using them to screen people anymore. So that's what's happened in BC, and that, now it's their own 
government in-house tribunal that views itself as an arm of law enforcement that adjudicates it. And meanwhile, you're punished the entire time, right? So the, the police officer is basically the one who makes the decision, I'm issuing this person a 90-day driving prohibition. Their car is towed. It's, it's gone. Their car is in, uh, uh, you have to pay for the towing and storage. And it's all on the basis of this little handheld device. And we found so many problems with them. Paul, um, you you know what? The justice minister yesterday afternoon, Doug Schweitzer, um, you know, uh, doubling down on on this policy, saying that in B.C. it saves lives. Uh, Take a listen to this clip. Okay, hold on. Here it is. When you take a look at this, I mean, we don't have any power of the criminal code. The criminal code is still there. You injure somebody, you kill somebody, you will face uh-huh. the criminal code right away. If you're a repeat offender and you don't get the message that drinking and driving is not acceptable, you will face criminal code charges. But this policy saves lives, full stop. If you go, if you go to British Columbia and you take a look at the stats, I was skeptical at first, but there's a reason why mothers against drunk driving support this policy. It saves lives. Is it something to deal with a certainty? It's our human nature that if we know that there's something is certain and it's done right away our behavior patterns can change and that's what they've seen in british columbia it's a smart policy not only is it the right thing to do to save lives it also saves a huge amount of court time and police time tens of thousands of hours of police time that where they're doing administrative work behind a desk when they could be back out on the street helping keeping people safe it saves lives. full stop paul doroshenko what are your thoughts on what you just heard well, it's ridiculous, frankly. Uh, what we did discover in BC was the discussion about drinking and driving enforcement uh, kept people from drinking and driving. We had a six-month period where the law wasn't in effect because it was struck down, and that was the least number of deaths in BC in like the last 20 years over that six-month period. Um, the law is using the same. You're using the same tool to stop somebody. You're using a roadside screener to stop them from driving down the road. In the in the previous law and the federal law, it's used. It's used in the provincial law. What we found is the exact opposite. It encourages recidivism because you go home, your car has been towed for 90 days, you're back in the bar the next day on the bar stool telling your friend, yeah, I got a 90-day driving prohibition. I don't even have to go to court. I don't have to face a judge. I don't have to do any of those things. Now, if you're charged with impaired driving in Alberta with a criminal offense, historically, you've got to go face a judge. I've had lots of people who have pulled their everything together, turned their life around, uh, stopped drinking, gone to AA, done all of those things because they knew down the road in six months or a year, whenever their trial was going to be, that they had to turn it around. There's no desire to turn it around. So we get recidivists. I mean, we get a lot of people who get one of these and they get it again, they get it again. Then maybe they get in an accident and the police officers have lost the skill to conduct criminal impaired driving investigations in BC. So we're succeeding in more of those than we ever have. Uh, We just noticed that the police are de-skilled because the only thing they know how to do now is to hand out these 90-day driving prohibitions. So they no longer know how to do a criminal one. And they're saying that the increase in fines is uh, going to be a big impact on on people, that that will help uh, curb drinking and driving after you've been charged once. Do you agree with that? Uh, we've noticed that every time they up the punishment, um, the discussion of upping the punishment reduces drunk driving for a while, but then it goes right back to the historic mean. People don't sit and think about, oh, you know, I've got a $1,000 fine. Oh, I could face a $2,000 fine. They never do that calculation when they're making the decision to drink and drive. It always comes down to one thing. Am I going to get caught? Those people who are making that decision to drink and drive are just worried about getting caught. 
What do we know that has worked in BC? I mean, that it has the same plan as this that we're going to see unroll here in Alberta. What works best? You talk about talking, you talk about roadblocks. What is it? Uh, resources and public education. Uh, so when it comes to roadblocks, for example, police officers are often not enthusiastic about it because they're standing in one location. They're not driving around in their car. Sometimes it's cold uh, and they feel that, you know, people are evading the roadblocks anyway. Well, actually, roadblocks are great because it discourages people from doing it. They're visible, people see it, they know that it's there, and they think to themselves, you know what, this is roadblock season. I'm not gonna drink and drive. We don't have a lot of drinking and driving cases over Christmas, right? (laughs) Every year, and on New Year's, we don't have them because everybody thinks, oh, I'm gonna get caught. So, you know, the public enforcement, uh, where you get to see it, actually really discourages people from drinking and driving it's uh but it's not it's not the popular thing among police uh for police officers it's much more personally rewarding to go fishing outside of a bar what do people in alberta need to be aware of moving as we move forward as this becomes law uh, you know, the people of Alberta need to decide whether or not they want to see charter rights taken away because in uh, NBC with this system, if you blow a fail on a roadside breath tester, there's no recognition of your charter rights at all. Uh, the police officer can, can delay things, can detain you unlawfully, can stick you in the back of the cruiser for two hours. Uh, the police officer can lie to you. The police officer can have no grounds for pulling you over. The police officer can make you blow because you're... Uh, because they don't like the color of your skin. Uh, we have no charter remedy if you blow a fail in, um, on a roadside breath tester and you get an immediate roadside prohibition in B.C. because the tribunal has no authority to make tra- charter decisions because it's not a court. So they just refuse to accept the Charter of Rights and they will not apply it. And um, that's been the state of the law for 10 years now in B.C. Uh, and it's the state of the law in Alberta as well. You will not get your charter rights, uh, a charter remedy. They can give you no remedy if the police officer violates your charter rights. Paul Doroshenko joining us this afternoon. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for this, Paul. Nice to speak with you. Take care. Paul Doroshenko, a criminal defense lawyer with Acumen Law, who's been working with the B.C. Uh, version of our Bill 21 that will come into effect later on this year.